we're going to continue the parables of Jesus, the kingdom parables. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you now and we recognize that we right now are not in heaven, but by faith we see you and we know you and we trust you and we love you. And we envy those who are perfected and those angels and all who surround you, worshiping you and delighting in you and, and growing in their delight of you each day. And we just, we live by faith and not by sight. And we pray that you will help us for we are in pilgrimage now. And in pilgrimage, Father, it is so easy for us to, to lose focus, to be distracted, to have our hearts allured away to places they shouldn't go and to just have our mind filled with so many things that are really such passing matters and to lose sight of just the important things. And so we ask that this morning you will come in the power of your spirit, through your word, you will come and you will help us and you will bring us back to you and you will help us to hear the words of Jesus and to see clearly these parables and then to apply them to ourselves. Help us this morning to be brave, to be brave enough to really look in our own hearts and ask hard questions. Help us this morning to be to be sober-minded and serious believers. Help us, we pray, to, to see clearly the true affairs of life. Help us, we pray. We need your help. We need your grace. Send your spirit now, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I want to tell you a true story of John and Mary. Uh, John and Mary is not their real name because they have refused to reveal their real name. Uh, John and Mary were walking. They bought a piece of property in the Sierra Madre uh, Mountains of uh, California. They loved the outdoors. They loved being in the outdoors. And so they went for a walk. They would take walks in, on their, in their mountain property. And uh, so one day they were taking a walk, walking their dog, and they noticed that in a tree there was a can an old tin can, and that old tin can had been in that tree so long that the tree had actually grown around it, and uh, you couldn't get it out. And they also noticed a jagged rock there uh, and such, and so they just kept walking. And then a couple weeks later, they were walking, and their dog uh, came upon a, another can. And this was, and I actually know that we know the date of this. This was in February of 2013. Their dog uh, dug up, a, a, saw a little can there. So John and Mary uh, dug up that can, and it was a, it was a can like this. Uh, you can see it on the internet. And uh, they thought that it was filled with lead-based paint because it was heavy. And so they took it home with them. And when they took it home with them and they opened it up, gold coins fell out. Gold coins fell out. They went back to that location and found eight more cans. They found eight cans in total. And, uh, and the gold coins all added up to $10 million, okay? 
So John and Mary actually made the largest, found the largest gold hoard uh, ever found in the history of the U.S. And these coin hoards are actually not as uncommon as you think. They, they're finding many of them. I kind of have an interest in ancient coins like ancient Roman first century coins and things like that. And they're finding them still very, very more regularly than you think in, in uh, England and things like that. And what happened was is that people in the past would bury their treasure. Uh, in fact, some people said that in, in ancient times, Jesus' time, for instance, if a person was very wealthy, he took a third of his treasure and kept that in coins that he could do business with. A third of it, he bought precious gold, uh, I mean, precious stones and gems and jewels so that those could be taken if very quickly if they had to run, and a third of it he buried. Well, many of these people who buried coins and such died without telling people where they were, and that's apparently what happened with John and Mary, and that was called the Saddle Ridge Hoard, and you can actually buy one of those coins today. Well, we're going to look at a parable having to do with treasure uh, hidden in a field, and that's in verse 44. Again, Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God and the overlapping of the ages and what is happening and what the kingdom is all about in this overlapping of the ages. And in verse 44, he says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, when you read a parable like that, it's very simple, but you, you might actually pause immediately and say, um, wait a minute, isn't there some moral issues associated with this? Okay, so you're in somebody else's field and you find a treasure in his field and you bury it back again and then you go and offer to buy him the land. That sounds like what you should do is tell him about the treasure in his field, right? And, uh, and so, uh, but interestingly enough, this idea of finding gold and finding treasure is controversial even up to this day. It's controversial to this day. For instance, what was John and Mary supposed to do when they found $10 million in gold coins? Were they supposed to find out who the previous owner of the land was and tell him about that gold, those gold coins? Were they supposed to find out who, it probably, who owned the land back in the 1800s when they think that they were buried and find his family and distribute the gold coins to them? What should they do about that? Now, if John and Mary, some countries, it's very clear what's happening, what should happen. If John and Mary would have found that gold, those gold coins on their land in Israel, that Gold, those gold coins would immediately be owned by the government of Israel because Israel passed a law called the Antiquities Law of the State of Israel in 1978. And after 1978, any antiquity, any, any coins, anything found in your land immediately goes to the state of Israel. You don't own it. But even then, there's all kinds of controversy still today. Let me give you another one. The San Jose uh, ship sunk, a ship called the San Jose ship sunk. And it was a ship owned by King Philip V of Spain. That, that sunk, and uh, it sunk full of gold and silver and precious stones off of the, that were taken from South America by Spain. Taken from South America by Spain, the ship sinks, okay? Uh, very recently, that ship in 2018 was discovered, okay? And it's the largest discovery of a, of a shipwreck of, of wealth ever, ever discovered. It is estimated to be between one and seventeen billion dollars. Okay, is still and it's still under there. It was discovered off of the coast of Colombia, Cartagena, Colombia. It was discovered, and again now 
there is a huge legal controversy as to whose money, whose treasure this is. Is it King Philip's? Is it, the, is it Spain? Spain said we never gave up the registration of that ship, and so that's ours. South American people say, but that gold was all taken from us. It's ours. Colombia said it was found in our waters. Then there was the question as to whether it was in Colombia's territorial waters or if it was found in international waters. The salvage company is saying it's ours. The United States government is saying, no, it's ours because the salvage company are United States citizens. And so who's, who's, whose stuff is this? Who's, whose treasure is this? It's interesting that in Jesus's day, the rabbis taught that if you found a hidden treasure and you took it out of the land, then you had to give it to the person whose who's, 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 uh, property it was. And so Jesus telling this parable, the guy buries it. If you put it back in the land, then you don't have to tell him. He buries it and such. So there's all kinds of moral issues that are associated with. But, but let me say that's a long way of saying that's not the purpose of these parables. The purpose of parables is not to give the morality of, stolen, of, of found buried treasure and stolen treasure. That's not it. The parables have a very specific point. They're making one point. And the morality of them could be questionable. And I'll give you a perfect example. We've already seen one. Look at chapter 12 and verse 28. Jesus says this, But I cast out de if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he gives us a little parable or illustration. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his goods? Uh, you can't take a strong guy's property if he's got guns and he's got guard dogs and everything like that until you dismantle, disarm. Then you can steal his stuff. And who's the plunderer in that parable that Jesus is talking about? Jesus is. He's coming. He's Satan is the strong man. And Jesus come and he's plundering his, he's, he's binding him and he's taking his goods back. And so parables aren't about teaching morality lessons. They're about something else. Now look at verse 44 again of chapter 13. This man goes and he finds a treasure hidden in a field and he buries that treasure back and then he goes and he literally sells everything that he owns. He sells everything to buy that field because in his estimation, the treasure in that field is so astronomically huge, he's ready to sell everything in order to get that. And that's Jesus's point in this parable. This man saw something of such incredible value that he committed everything that he had to it. He was all in. He wanted he didn't want anything to stop him. All of the most precious things that he owned, his, all of his clothes, all of his, all of his goods, everything, he sold, he sold, he sold to get the money because he wanted that treasure. He was all in. There was no holes barred. He was completely, completely committed. And that's what Jesus is saying about the kingdom. If you come and you want the kingdom, then you got to be all in. It's all or nothing. That's what he's teaching. So now he teaches a second parable. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. A merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Uh, the, 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 uh, the Greek word for merchant here is emporia, emporia, where we get emporium and things like that. This is a professional uh, man who goes around buying and selling pearls, and he travels far and wide to do this, okay? And it says, and who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, it's interesting, it in, the, in the theme of 
treasures and gold. In June 17th of this year, about less than a month ago, seven, two weeks ago, the third largest diamond ever discovered was discovered in Botswana. It's, as, it's bigger than a man's fist, and it's, it's estimated to be worth this one diamond $2 billion. In fact, the king of Botswana, uh, the Botswana government took the diamond and said, uh, with this, we're going to be able to finance a lot, of, uh, a lot of things for the entire society here. And so this man, this pearl merchant here, he finds something equivalent to that, something very, very valuable. And notice what he does then. He sells everything then. He sold everything that he had. He was all in. He was 100% committed. It's like this guy went home to his wife and he said, I found the most amazing pearl and we're going to buy it. I want to buy this thing. It's so valuable and its value is just going to increase. And we need to sell everything that we have. So get all of your clothes, get all of your jewelry, get everything that you own, everything, all the family heirlooms, everything, bring it in. We're going to sell it all. We're all in. We have to be all all in in order to get this one coin. So the parables have the same uh, aspect to them. But notice there's a nuance, there's a difference to them as well. The first parable, the man stumbles upon the kingdom. He was just out there, maybe he was plowing the fields or whatever, and he stumbled upon this treasure that was in the field. The second man was actually seeking. He was seeking these pearls. He was looking for them. But both of them, when they realized this is a magnificent treasure, both of them were like, I'm all in. I'm 110% committed to this. Everything I've got, I'm pouring into it. So think of salvation like that. Think of the kingdom. In one sense, you could say that the apostle Paul stumbled into the kingdom. In fact, he was on his way to destroy the kingdom, and he met Jesus. And that day, he did not think that he was going to come to Christ and, and commit himself to Christ. But then compare that to Cornelius, who had been praying and seeking and then, got, and then called for Peter. Or the Ethiopian eunuch, who's sitting there reading the scriptures and saying, I need to understand what this is. Those men were seeking. Those men were seeking. But no matter what, when they found, they were all in. And that's what Jesus has been teaching us all along. Now, keep your uh, ribbon there in, in Matthew 13. And look at Matthew 10. Look at Matthew 10. We've already looked at this passage. Matthew 10, verse 37. Here's some of the all-in sort of language that Jesus gives us. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, if you go to the parallel passage in Luke, Luke has the, gra the language much more graphic. You must hate father and mother, wife and children, son brothers and sisters, even your own self, or you can't be my disciple. That's the kind of language, the all-in language. Look at verse 38. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You have to be willing to die by the most despicable death every day in order to be my follower. Look at verse 39. He who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for me will find it. The person who holds on to his life and says, I need my life. I want my life. I want it to be all about me. That person's going to lose his life. The person who gives up his life, gives up his life, gives up everything, that's the person who's in. This is the kind of language Jesus gives. Look at chapter 16 in verse 24. Same book, chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. 
say no to himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, again, preserve it, keep it. No, this is mine, this is mine, you can't have it. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I'm all in, including my life. Verse 26, for what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world, if mine, mine, me, mine, and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so you see this idea of being all in. Jesus, when he, um, one of his other parables that he gives, he talks about if a man goes to build a tower, he needs to sit down first and calculate the cost and make sure that he has enough. He has to be all in or else he'll start building and then he won't have enough. Or if he goes out to war, he needs to calculate, does he have everything that he's got? Is he all in? And don't go halfway in. And then Jesus says in Luke 14, 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Look at that verse. Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You cannot come to discipleship and follow me unless you are all completely in and willing to put everything on the line. That's Jesus speaking. This isn't me speaking, just being a tough guy. That's Jesus speaking. And you know what? We have examples in Scripture of people who joyfully did that. In the passage that Dan read earlier, Peter says in Matthew 19, 27, see, we left all to follow you. Peter was all in. Matthew, in, cha in Luke chapter 5 and verse 28, it says this. And I didn't, I didn't put this up, so don't look for it, John. It says this. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Matthew dropped everything. In fact, he left gold coins there in the, in, the, in the tax office. He just stood up, left his job, left his wealth, left everything, and followed Jesus. Listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks about this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now look at that verse. Loss, and those, these words are actually economic, financial type words. Loss of all things, count them rubbish, dung, count them filth that I may gain Christ. I'm forsaking it all for Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is by God and through faith. Now, some, Peter, Matthew, Paul, joyfully gave it all up and sought after the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price. But some, sadly, didn't. Didn't. And Dan read Matthew 19 the rich young ruler. What must I do to gain everlasting life? And Jesus said, well, I know your problem. And he puts his finger right on the problem. You go sell everything, and then you can have eternal life. And the guy said, no, no. I really, really, really want eternal life, but I want my stuff more. No. And then Peter goes on to say, we left everything for you. Paul had a young man who followed along with him for a while. 
And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, as Paul's concluding his last letter to Timothy, he writes this, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And the actual literal there is having loved this present age. He loved this present age. Demas did. You know, it's sad when you think about this. Happy in one sense, sad in another. Peter, Matthew, Paul left everything for the pearl great price. And they've been in heaven for 2,000 years. The rich young ruler and Demas said, no, I'm not letting go. And they've been in hell for 2,000 years. That's sobering. And that's why these parables that Jesus is telling us leads us to some serious questions. These parables are amazing because they're so simple. A man finds a treasure in a field. A man finds a pearl of great price. And then they respond. And they go and they sell everything. And they're all in because they want that. They want that great, valuable thing. These simple parables make us ask some of the most profound, searching questions in our life. And let's do that right now. What is the most important thing to you or to me? What is the most important thing in your life? What is the the thing that you and I are seeking after? If you strip away everything else in our life, our busyness, the stuff we have to always consume our minds with, the the thoughts in our head, our our, our interests and our pleasures, and we strip away all of that and get down to the inner core of motivation in our lives, What is the primary motivation, the most important thing, the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price that you are willing to commit everything, everything, all of your energies, all of your passion, all of your heart for? What makes you, you? And what are you doing? Where are you going? What directs you? That's that's what these parables ask. Another way that we could ask it is this. Are you and I seeking the kingdom of God? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, because this is the message of Jesus. It's the message that comes through in Matthew. But seek first Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Did I put that up, John? 6.33? No? Yes. Computer's not working. Listen to what Jesus said. But seek first, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. Why did these people, and why did, why did these people go all in? Like literally radically go all in. And why should we radically go all in? I, I, what, what Jesus is asking you and I sitting here today is, is this. You need to be 100% all in. It's all or nothing. And we need to ask ourselves, but why? Why do we need to be all in? Why were these guys on? Why did these guys act the way they did? I'm sure when those two guys went home, the guy who found the treasure in the field or the guy who was the merchant, they went home, their family might have thought, you're over the top crazy here. Like, this is way too much. And like, 
there's no way I'm selling all of our furniture, all of our, our house, all that we have, all of our family heirlooms, selling everything until we have nothing but the clothes on our back because you claim that this field has a treasure. I, you know, they must have thought they were crazy. Why? Why? Why did these men see this as so valuable? And how could I convince you, as it were, that this is so valuable? And here I'm trying, literally trying to be what Jesus said to be in chapter, uh, in ver- chapter 13, verse 52. I'm trying to be a good scribe here and, and help us to understand the kingdom. Why? Why? You see, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to convince us that the kingdom of God is that important. Well, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to let Jesus do it. Look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. Here we go. See, this is the eschatological part of this. The end of this age where there's the overlapping, the kingdom and the world are together in this overlapping age. At the end of this age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, notice this idea that the wicked are going to be pulled out from the just, cast into a furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, he has already said that. He's making this point. He's doubling up on this with the earlier parable of the wheat and tares that Chris preached on. Look at, uh, just flip back and look at verse 41. It says this. I'm sorry, verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so you see this, this terrible division that is coming. And so remember, now look at the whole of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm going to teach you these parables to show you what the kingdom is like. And the kingdom is like a sower who goes out to sow seed. And some fall on hard ground. And and people don't want to have anything to do with that. They don't don't want the kingdom. They're not interested in the kingdom. They have nothing to do with the kingdom. And and, and, and then he says this, and some then is sown among, among thorns and thistles. Remember we looked at that parable? And these are the people whose hearts are consumed by the cares or the concerns of this world. And they spring up for a little bit, but then they bear no fruit. Theirs is not the kingdom either. What is Jesus doing? He's trying to talk about the fact that in this age, the seed is being sown. But this age is going to end one day. And when this age ends, it's going to be horrible. And he's saying, therefore, where are you? Where are you? And that's why he's offering the kingdom for salvation. Think about this, dear friend. Think about how people today are so powerfully influenced by so much that the seed that grows up amongst the thorns and the thistles seems to be the majority of what happens to us today. People, if you were to ask people, what is the thing that primarily motivates you? What is the thing that drives everything else in your life? You'll get a lot of answers from people. Some will say money, money. Now, they won't be as crass as to say that, but their life does show that. Money, 
I want success. I want to be able to buy things. I want to own things. I want the pleasure that comes from buying and owning those things. That's where I'm at. That's what motivates me. That's what drives me. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what dominates my thoughts. That's what dominates my affections. That's what dominates my plans. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But this person says, no, my life does consist in the abundance of my possessions. John Calvin wrote this, the allurements of the world so bewitch us that eternal life slips away. Now, for some people, it's not money per se. It's pleasure. It's they, 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 they live for pleasure to satisfy certain desires or needs or pleasure. For some men, that's women. For some, some people, some women and men, it's relationships, it's romance. For some people, it's a cool reputation and popularity. For some people, it's as simple as this. Sadly, it's as simple as this. I live for Friday night and Saturday and Saturday night. I live to just have a good time with my friends. I live to have a keg of beer out by a, a river. My buddies show up. I pretty much live for that. When you get down to it, my heart motivation, that's where I'm at. Some people have addictions, and they live to fulfill those cravings. Alcohol, opiates, porn, gambling, shopping, busyness. You know, there are many people today who are just addicted to busyness. I got to keep going. I got to keep moving. I got to do. I just do. I do. I'm, I can't sit around. I just keep doing Social media. Some people are obsessed with their lawns, their houses, their cars, their games, their, rec their recreations. And all of life just becomes these things, these, these superficial temporal things. And, 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 and all the time, as that becomes the meaning of life and the purpose and the thing that drives me, we have sinful hearts and sinful natures, and we make idols of them, and we increase our guilt, and one day, we're going to stand before God. And this is Jesus' point. One day, the kingdom of God is going to be like a dragnet. It's going to one day drag everybody into judgment. The kingdom of God is going to end like wheats and tares, and the angels are going to go out, and they're going to separate. Dear friends, Jesus says more than anybody else, the Son of God who came out of heaven talked more about this than anybody else, that this world, this life, our existence is going to end standing before a judge with heaven and hell opened up before us and being assigned to a place. And some people are going to be dragged into the presence of God like a dragnet and like a bad, rotten fish are going to be cast away. Cast away.
They're going to go to hell. Their life will be over in one sense. An eternal life will beginning for them, but they will go to hell. They were the people for whom when the gospel seeds were sown, were so distracted, so busy, so easily distracted, and it was all choked out of them. They were the rich young rulers said, I want eternal life. I'll come to church. I want eternal life, but I don't want it that much. I've got my limits. I'm not all in. They were like Demas who, who preached with Paul and worked with Paul and was it, worked with the actual, planted churches with Paul, but in the meantime, his heart was just kept drawing back to this world, the pleasures of this world, the pleasures of this age, the things, the fun, the women, the sex, the, the, the enjoyments, the, the money, the pleasures, the styles. His heart was just drawn back and drawn back and drawn back. And dear friends, we are going to stand there one day on Judgment Day and watch and watch as people are cast into hell, screaming, terrified, and there forever. This is not popular preaching, and we don't hear a lot of it these days. Preachers don't like to preach like this because then people won't come. Preachers don't like to preach like this because they won't get more, more crowds and more people. We have to coddle people today, and we have to tell them, uh, you know, come to the kingdom because you'll get fulfilled, and your emotions will be, and you'll be happy, and you'll feel fulfilled, and you'll even enjoy your pleasures better, and your sex life will be better, and you'll, you'll do better in business. And you know what? Jesus didn't talk like that. Jesus, read his parables. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this, by the way, is the one who is going to judge us. He's warning us. He's loving us. He's saying, please understand, I'm going to come and judge, and you will be cast away, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look at this man, what he did when he saw the treasure. Look at this man, what he did when he saw the pearl. Be that man. Be that man. Be all in. Don't lose your soul. That's what these parables are saying. You say, but Todd, you haven't gotten to the value. Here I'm going to get to the value. See, the treasure was so valuable. This man said, I'll do anything for that treasure. This pearl is so great, I'll do anything for that. I'll tell you the value. The final day has come. Jesus is enthroned. Judgment day has started. The angels are dragging the dragnet in. The lost are trembling and fearful and, 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 and want, to be, want to be saved. Bring the mountains on us that we wouldn't have to face the anger of the Lamb. And you're standing there. And you're not scared at all. I mean, the intimidating Son of God is just the you know, amazing glory and face shining like the sun. But you're not. You're happy. You're glad to see him finally face to face. You delight in him. And guess what? You stand before him, and what does he say? Oh, my sheep, I love you. This man, this woman has no sins. Forgiven. Justified. Remembered no more. Cleansed. In fact, this man, this dear woman... She is as righteous as I am because she has my righteousness on her. 
This is my father's child. This is the heir of the king. This is the heir of the kingdom. Come. Come and share my joy. Come and share my glory. And you're saying, <laughs> I'm forgiven. I'm beloved. I'm saved. And it's all of grace. It's mine. Dear ones, that is what is so valuable. I'll tell you what's valuable is the king. He's the pearl of great price. He's the treasure. This king who offers eternal life. This Jesus, this savior, this one. And dear ones, listen. When he says to me, forsake all. Forsake Jan, forsake these children, forsake these grandchildren, forsake your money, forsake your life, forsake your health. Lay it all on the line for me. He's not asking anything that he didn't do and more so for me. He gave up the kingdom. He left heaven. He came and was, became a peasant child in a, in a backwater town. He worked with his, he took on a human body. He worked with his own hands. He suffered. He took the cross. He died. He was all in. And he even suffered the wrath of his father and was forsaken. He gave it all up. He was all in. He did it all for me by his grace. And now he's asking me to be all into him. And you know what? I'm telling you, dear ones, it is not hard to do. It is hard to do, and it's not hard to do. When you see the value of this Jesus I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. I want you more than I want anything in this world. I want you more than I want money. I want you more than I want pleasures. I want you than I want a fun Friday night. I want you than I, more than I want my reputation. I want you than I want my health. I want you more than I want my safety and security. I am all in. All that I am, I am all in. Because I want you, you this wonderful king, and I want your kingdom. And you know what, dear ones? The Apostle Paul, after all of this, came to this conclusion in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this present age, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What are we giving away? Nothing. Nothing. Dear ones, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Do you know why? Because you're going to die one day. And guess what's going to happen when you die one day? Your children are going to have to figure out what to do with all your stuff. And guess what happens? I'm married to a real estate agent. I see this happening all the time. I hear about it all the time. Your kids don't want your stuff. They got stuff. Your stuff's old, by the way. You're old. They don't want your stuff. So guess what happens to your stuff? They pull a dumpster into your driveway. And they throw your stuff into it. Guess what happens to your job? It's filled by the end of the week. Guess what happens to your name? It gets forgotten. Guess what happens to your house? Somebody else moves in. Guess what happened to that carpet you laid? They rip it off. Guess what happened to that room you painted? They don't like the color. They paint over it. And before you know it, 
Nobody even knows you exist. And for people who live their life for that paint, that carpet, that house, that stuff, that car, those pleasures, bam, it's all gone. But for those who say, this is all nice, and if God blesses me with it, that's great. But my heart beats for this kingdom. My heart beats for something that's eternal. My heart beats for that. God has been good to you. Dear ones, I'll tell you when my heart began to beat in that direction by the grace of God, by the grace of God. It was at the funeral of my best friend at the time. And he was my grandfather. I was 10 years old. It was 1966. My grandfather divided up his farm, and we lived right next door to him. We had moved away, but he died. And I remember my, my mother's mother, I was at the funeral, and it was time to say goodbye and to shut the casket. And I broke down. And my grandmother picked me up and carried me, and she was comforting me. And I broke down because I kept looking at him because that casket was, he was just gone. He had died, massive heart attack, gone, 59 years old, gone. But within the months after that, something began to stir in my heart that led me to Christ. And what stirred in my heart was, if this is how quickly something I love so dearly can be gone, I want something that's eternal. And by the grace of God, the seeds began to plant that led me then to trusting and embracing Christ. Dear ones, Jesus offers us this eternal, beautiful, glorious kingdom. And it's growing. And it's here. And it's coming in all of its glory. Get into that kingdom. Get into that kingdom. And make it your life's purpose and work to get into that kingdom before it's too late. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let money stop you, pleasure stop you, friends stop you, their jeers, their joking, their persecution. Don't let people cancel you. Don't let them stop you. Get into that kingdom. That's the message of Jesus today. And the wonderful thing is he offers it freely. He offers it freely today. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, we praise you, we thank you, and we glorify you that you left everything behind. You left heaven. You left your glory. You left the joys and pleasures of being in your Father's immediate presence. You forsake it all to come to earth, to be pummeled, beaten, shamed, spit upon, and killed because you love us. You want us to have eternal life, to give us the kingdom. Oh, dear Lord, help us. Help us to be all in. Help us to be all in. We give ourselves to you right now as living and holy sacrifices. Take us, we pray. And Lord, where this loud world that just simply won't shut up, all of the distractions, all of the alluring, all of the temptations, where we have allowed that to 
start to turn our heart or sway our heart. We pray that you will forgive us and we repent. And we turn back to you now. Having heard the words of Jesus today, we turn back to you now. Here we are. Take us. We're back in. We're fully committed. And Lord, for anybody who's here right now, who is resisting or who's outside your kingdom and who wants in, oh, we pray, by your grace, save them. Save them. Give them that eternal joy. And if they're struggling right now, Lord, because they need to give up something, like the rich young ruler, I pray that you'll give them grace to see clearly how valuable the treasure is, how valuable the pearl is. Help them, I pray. Help them to weigh it. Give them grace to give it all up that they might gain you. We praise you and we thank you in your precious name. Amen.